It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Trey Gowdy. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Hunter Biden is facing criminal charges, tax evasion, but they're misdemeanors and he'll plead guilty. And the president's son is making a deal to wipe out a felony gun charge. Uh, There's no indication that the U.S. attorney was investigating the influence peddling scandal. And that really does reinforce the views of many that we have a two-tier justice system. I'm Jared Halpert. Even in a crowded Republican field, he says Donald Trump can't win. Nominating Donald Trump means four more years of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and that's something that our party and our country just can't stand. We speak with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Hunter Biden admits it. He committed tax evasion and will plead guilty to two federal misdemeanor charges. The president's son is also charged with a felony, unlawful possession of a firearm by a user addicted to a controlled substance. He's not pleading guilty to that, but has worked out a deal to resolve that case, likely without any time in prison. Republicans call it a slap on the wrist, and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says it's proof of a double standard. If you were the president's leading political opponent, the DOJ tries to literally put you in jail and give you prison time. If you are the president's son, you get a sweetheart deal. Hunter Biden's lawyer says that Hunter believes it's important to take responsibility for his mistakes during turmoil and addiction in his life. Well, this is along the lines that I expected. Jonathan Turley is a George Washington University law professor and a Fox News contributor. Almost exactly a year ago, I wrote a column saying that there was evidence that the Democrats and the media were hoping for what you could call a controlled demolition of the scandal, that it had already become too late to continue the denial of the Hunter Biden laptop as Russian disinformation. It was clear that Hunter Biden was engaged in influence peddling. And when you have something like that, the best thing to do is to take down the scandal. This is the exact charges that were anticipated in that column. And I don't necessarily disagree uh, with the Department of Justice as to how they charged these crimes. He is a first offender. The concern I have, and many people have, is that the investigation seemed artificially narrow. Uh, There's no indication that the U.S. attorney was investigating the influence peddling scandal. And that really does reinforce the views of many that we have a two-tier justice system. As for the tax evasion, you've said that this is what you expected. The gun issue, it's a felony, but he's not pleading guilty to it. What's this pre-trial program? How does this work? This is a well-known program. And once again, because he's a first offender and he had a drug addiction, 
Uh, this is not out of line with past cases. They allow people to enter this type of diversion program to deal with the underlying problems, and then they can actually effectively expunge the crime itself. And so there's no reason to expect that he will ever face a true felony on the gun charge. He was dead to rights on the gun charge. There was no defense. This brings us back to the curious profile of this investigation. It's almost six years. Yeah, this dates back to when President Trump was in office. Right. And so you're talking about five to six years of investigation, and you come up with three charges that pretty much could have been confirmed within the first month. And so the question is, what have you been doing for five years? The Department of Justice has never said that the Delaware U.S. attorney has the mandate to look into the influence peddling scandal. Also, Merrick Garland has steadfastly refused to appoint a special counsel to investigate. And that's important because by refusing to appoint a special counsel, Garland protected the Biden family from the greatest threat, which was a a report, uh, because a special counsel can issue a report that details findings. The findings here would be really devastating for the Biden family. Okay, but obviously, President Biden has said over and over he didn't have any involvement in his son's business dealings. Democrats have said over and over that all these allegations are unproven, and this is a political targeting of Hunter Biden. And obviously, House Republicans are investigating this. So, and the FBI apparently did have at least the document on the possibility of a bribe. Can that investigation be the job that's being done in Hunter Biden and not worry about a special counsel? Well, it can achieve something of that, but there is no real replacement for a special counsel with subpoena authority. It's hard to refuse those demands. It's a little bit easier when you're dealing with Congress. But is it possible that they have been looking into it? The the White House has been saying that Republicans are using innuendo to smear President Biden, not fact or evidence. So is that possible that this is political in the Justice Department's view? They've looked at it and don't have charges to file? Well, we simply don't know. And that's part of the curiosity here. The Department of Justice has confirmed in the past when they've looked into areas of investigation while limiting what public comments they have made, they've never confirmed that the mandate has included the influence peddling. The House Republicans have alleged that information that they have does not appear to have been requested by the Department of Justice in the past. Okay. Now, we just don't know, you know, We also have not heard of any witnesses, at least recently, being called into grand juries on the influence peddling side. So we'll see all that unfold, but you're absolutely right. The problem with this strategy for the Biden family is that one of the houses flipped, and now the House representatives is investigating this matter, and they're not going to stop. If they do come up with evidence and submit it and do subpoenas and get stonewalled, At what point does political pressure, even on the Biden administration, lead to some sort of a renewed investigation into the president's son? At what point would they have to? 
Well, it's hard to say because that is in, in part a political calculation. Now, we just don't know where the truth is. But that's part of the problem is that it always seems like there's a lack of curiosity or effort when you're dealing with people like the Biden family members. And so for people that have distrust about the justice system, this is likely to deepen that distrust. I mean, it, for many people, it seems like, you know, they pulled out a B-52 for Trump, which might be perfectly justified. But that, you know, in the Biden investigations, they brought out a crop duster. Speaking of the former president, he gave his first interview since pleading not guilty in the Trump classified documents case. It's a political witch hunt. It's a continuation. He talked to Fox's Brett Baer. Why do you want to hold on to those documents after you're president? I don't say I do. You just didn't know what was in the boxes? With NARA giving them back, all of a sudden we've got raided. And the two went back and forth on that. They went to DOJ to subpoena you to get them Which back. they've never done before. Right. And in but all why fairness, not just hand them over then? Because I had boxes. I want to go through the boxes. And since obstruction is among the 37 charges against former President Trump, Brett Baer pressed him on that. According to the indictment, you then tell this aide to move to other locations after telling your lawyers to say you'd fully complied with the subpoena when you hadn't. But before I send boxes over, I have to take all of my things out. The federal judge overseeing the case has set an August 14th trial date. I expect the defense will waive a speedy trial or they are legally insane. In even the most standard case, you tend to waive speedy trial, which puts the trial roughly 70 days out from the indictment. But the interview with Trump was really astonishing. Brad Bear really knocked this one out of the park. And he was respectful, but he was tough. And the answers he got were very surprising because Trump went into detail about some of the most damaging aspects of the case against him, including the audio tape. Yeah, and if you're Trump's lawyer, would you be watching and wondering why he's saying so much? Oh, I think I would have been in a tight fetal position during this entire (laughs) interview. And I don't know if they set on a defense for the trial, but they've got one now because the president made these statements publicly. These are admissible at at trial. And so the president has said on the audio tape that there wasn't any document, never was, that he was just referring to like news coverage articles. Well, as Brett Baer pointed out, it sure doesn't sound that way. You, You don't seem to be referring to just a bunch of news clippings. You seem to be referring to an Iranian attack plan. And the president just simply says, I never had that document. Uh Now, that's the type of statement that can cost you a lot if the Department of of Justice has opposing information. And then the Uh, jury would have a chance to believe that the former president lied to Brett Baer. And if they believe that he lied to Brett Baer, doesn't that have the jury then think that he could have lied about other things? Absolutely. I think that if the jury sees that tape and they have evidence that the document existed at Mar-a-Lago, the jury is likely not to believe anything the president has to say. It's a very risky thing to do. You rarely see this level of detail from someone who has just been indicted. And he, again, used the defense that it was all presidential records. He was hastily throwing together stuff, getting out of the White House, going to Mar-a-Lago. And the reason that he was uh, slow to give up documents, he was trying to get this personal stuff out. 
Well, he actually did not state a defense to mishandling of documents. These documents don't have to be classified for the president to be guilty of these crimes. He has to be in possession of national defense information, which the Department of Justice has said quite clearly he was. So did he admit in the interview he had it? Well, he didn't. He was a little bit ambiguous on that point, but he basically seemed to suggest that any such documents were his to keep. He's unlikely to get support from the courts on that. I mean, this is why the Trump team should not dilute itself or its client. These charges hit well below the waterline for Donald Trump. These are charges that the Department of Justice has brought successfully in many cases, things like obstruction, false statements. Even if the Trump team was able to use its Espionage Act challenges successfully, and I think that the odds are against them on that, it would still leave some charges on the table. This is very damning evidence against the president, and the interview probably did not help him legally. It may have helped him politically, but it certainly did not help him legally. But how much Uh, time can the Trump lawyers buy from August 14th to the future? If they play it well, they can easily push us past the election. You have a Department of Justice rule that says that you're not supposed to be going into court and filing things shortly before an election. The rule of thumb has been that that's usually 90 days out from an election. Well, the first election involving Donald Trump is in February. That would mean if you really were complying with that rule, you'd have to get this trial over by November. That's a really fast pace. Jonathan Turley, George Washington University law professor, Fox News contributor. Always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. Former President Trump is not letting go of his frontrunner status, leading in every poll of Republican candidates before and after his indictment on federal charges connected the mishandling national security secrets at his Mar-a-Lago estate. It's not stopping a list of nearly a dozen Republicans from trying to change the trajectory of the race. So I'll say to you tonight that I can't guarantee you success in what I'm about to do, but I guarantee you that at the end of it, you will have no doubt in your mind who I am and what I stand for and whether I deserve it. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie made his run official earlier this month in the first in the nation primary state of New Hampshire. Few are taking the same tact as Christie. The 2016 Republican candidate turned Trump ally is now his fiercest critic as far as GOP candidates are concerned. Christie also has worries about the Justice Department's deal that likely keeps Hunter Biden, President Biden's son, out of jail for tax and weapons charges. Well, look, I'm concerned about a few things. First of all, I'm concerned about how long it took. Christie was a former federal prosecutor, the U.S. attorney for the District of New Jersey during the Bush administration. For what turns out to be a pretty straightforward tax case, 
and a gun possession case, um, the amount of time this took was just ridiculous. And if I'd been U.S. attorney in that district in Delaware, um, this would have been done a couple of years ago. Uh, it just was a ridiculous amount of time to spend on this kind of case first. Second, I'm really concerned about the way this administration, who says they're so concerned about gun crime, winds up handling a gun case. Um, they've been soft on gun cases um, in this administration, and this is another instance where they're soft on gun cases. So I don't know whether it was special treatment for Hunter Biden or just the fact that they love to pass gun laws, but they don't like to enforce them. Uh, Explain to me a little bit about this, Judge, because I, I was unfamiliar, I, I guess, with this statute that involves, what, if you're a known addict, you, you are not allowed to possess a firearm? That's right. And, you know, again, it's another one of these laws that gets passed and put on the books that makes everybody, you know, feel good um, from the gun control community when it gets passed. But then, you know, people then get squishy about how they enforce it, when they enforce it. And, you know, here you have someone who clearly violated that and they're giving them diversion. And so, you know, I don't know whether this is the product of favoritism, but I'll tell you this. um, It certainly looks that way. And. It's consistent with the way DOJ, under this administration, is handling gun cases. If you really are concerned about gun crime, you're really concerned about people who possess weapons in violation of the law, then send a clear, strong message and give those people some jail time. Uh, And on the tax case, again, since the taxes were paid and penalties and interest were paid, I'm not surprised that he's not seeing jail time on the tax case. But how they handled the gun case really bothers me. And how long all of it took really bothers me. Misdemeanor appropriate for the tax stuff? Yeah, if you've paid the taxes plus um, interest and and, uh, and penalties, uh, which it appears he has, we'll have to see when the whole plea comes out. But as long as he's paid everything that he owed plus penalties and interest, then, you know, usually in those things, if it's a criminal charge, which this one is, it's usually a misdemeanor. So that one doesn't stick out at me. But what does stick out at me was how long it took. And why did it take so long to resolve this? It shouldn't have. We've heard from Republicans, especially on Capitol Hill, that there is more to this than just the tax stuff and the gun stuff. If that is the case, would this be the way that a U.S. attorney would dispose of the case? Well, it depends on what that other stuff is. And I'd be fascinated to hear from folks on the Hill what else was involved here and what else was investigated in this particular case. Well, I mean, their accusation, obviously, is this broader sort of pay-for-play accusation, right? Right. But I think, you know, pay-for-play, you know, they have to get specific about what the criminal charge would be um, and exactly what he did and did it involve other people. And by the way, I would not be surprised to hear the U.S. attorney say something like the investigation is ongoing and there may be other parts of this that they haven't resolved yet, whether it involves other members of the Biden family or other people that he was involved with in business. Um, It may not be completely resolved yet, but look, you're going to look at this if you're a Republican and rightly say, why did it take so long? And if you people are so concerned about gun crime and you want more and more gun laws on the books, why should we trust you? You can't even enforce the ones that are on the books already. Let me talk a little bit about the campaign. Obviously, you, you've been among maybe the most aggressive critic of, of former President Trump, at least in the GOP field. I think it's fair to uh, say. That's fair, right? That's, I, I'm not yep. going too far afield there. No. So, I mean, is that a message that can win over the Republican base, which still, by and large, seems very supportive of the former president? Well, there's been no campaign yet, A. B., 
yes, I mean, if you look at most of the polling I've seen, when they ask people the question of, are you definitely voting for Trump? Do you like Trump, but you consider voting for someone else? And would you never vote for Trump? 70% or so of the folks say either they're never going to vote for Trump or um, they would consider voting for someone else. So it seems like the media always focuses on the 30%. Um, I'm focusing on the 70% of people. And by the way, those 30% who say they're definitely going to vote for Trump, that's based on what they know today. And a lot of those people, if they start to learn more about how failed this president was on so many of the conservative issues that we care about as president and his conduct since he's left office. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are concerned that nominating Donald Trump means four more years of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and that's something that our party and our country just can't stand. Is Trump's status as the front runner right now the main reason you decided to get into this race? No, the main reason I decided to get into this race is because I really believe that our country's got to get back to doing big things again. And I'm afraid that with Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden, they've made the country smaller and smaller. We discuss petty, small things. We argue with each other about petty, small things. And we're not a big player around the world like we used to be. I want us to get back to being big in this country and for all of us to feel like America's a world leader again and in our country, we're creating big opportunity for our citizens in jobs and growing an economy and getting inflation under control and giving parents choice in education, making sure every parent has the ability to choose where their kid can go to school and that they're gonna be able to afford to pay for it through a federal tax credit. Those are the kind of things I want us to be doing and that's why I'm running. But I will tell you that it does disturb me, given that Donald Trump is such a loser, that, you know, he has lost. We lost the House in 18. We lost the Senate and the White House in 20. And in 22, we lost two more governorships, another seat in the Senate, and barely won the House of Representatives when Joe Biden's approval ratings were at 35 percent. Loser, loser, loser. Three in a row. You don't see a scenario in which he, he wins a general election. No, I don't believe he can. What about and, the and by the way, if you saw Brett Baer's interview, which I'm sure you did, and he asked him, how are you going to appeal to the independent woman voter in the suburbs who you lost? He went into a four-minute harangue on how he had really won the 2020 election. I mean, haven't we all had enough of that already? He lost the 2020 him. election. He lost, and he can't bear it. His ego can't bear it. And he's gonna, that's the way he's going to win over suburban voters. He cannot win. Because he cannot let go of having lost the election in 2020. And by the way, if I'd lost to Joe Biden, I'd be pretty depressed, too. But that message still seems to resonate with an awful lot of Republicans. Why is that? Because when he was president of the United States, he told people the election was stolen and they believed him because we want to believe the president. But he he was wrong. He was lying, which is not unusual. He told prosecutors had his lawyers tell prosecutors that they had given over all the documents they had when he intentionally hid boxes and boxes and boxes of documents from his own lawyers. This is a guy who's, it's now almost impossible for him to tell the truth. So that's why people believed it. They believed it because they want to believe the president. But I think most people in this country understand that Joe Biden won the election because Donald Trump blew it. And why do we want to have a rerun of 2020 in 2024. Our country can't afford it and our party can't afford it. 
So you just brought up a little bit of the defense that Trump makes when he's talking about this documents case. Again, sort of going back to your previous role as a U.S. attorney, what did you make of that indictment? Is he overcharged using the Espionage Act and that type of statutory uh, regime to charge and indict the, the former president? No, he's not overcharged. Look at what he did, as alleged in the indictment. You know, he confirmed that he intentionally obstructed their ability to get the documents back. And his excuse, his defense was, well, I was really busy, so I didn't have time to go through all the boxes. They've been asking for the documents for a year and a half. And for most of that year and a half, what I was seeing on the news was Donald Trump was off playing golf most of the time. But he was too busy to go through the boxes. And he was concerned because he was going to turn over golf shirts and golf pants to the National Archives. I mean, come on. This stuff is ridiculous. He wasn't overcharged. What, in essence, the government did was to not charge him for any of the documents that he turned over prior to the raid in August. If he had just turned over all the documents for the year and a half when they asked nicely, quietly, privately, please give us the documents back. If he had just turned those over, we wouldn't be going through this. We are going to go through an awful national trauma of having a former president tried because he was unwilling to review what was in his boxes and to turn those boxes over to the government. It's outrageous. So let me then finish with this, uh, Governor, because you talked about at the start of this conversation, this sort of 70-30 split, right? And you're after that 70%, maybe not that 30%. But this is a, a growing field. It's a large field. I think what we're up to a dozen Republicans now running for the nomination. At some point, that field's going to have to coalesce, is it not? Are you the, the, the candidate to coalesce around for the, that sort of non-Trump, anti-Trump vote? Well, look, I think that um, we're putting forward very, very different ideas. We're putting forward the idea of this government, once again, doing the big things to make America entrepreneurial, to make it strong around the world, to make it the party of educational choice. We're ones out there talking about it. And by the way, we've done it in a blue state for eight years um, where you had to figure out how to get things done the same way you have to figure it out in Washington. And look, I know we're at 12 candidates now, but let's see how many candidates qualify for the debate stage in August. And I think the ones who don't will have a concern about staying in the race. And then let's see, as we get closer to the end of the year, how candidates are making progress in some of the early states. And so I don't know exactly how many people will be ultimately on the ballot and in the race when we get to the early primaries. Um, but I'm confident of this. I'll be one of them. And I'll be making a case. You see already, in just two weeks, we are already in third place in New Hampshire only four points behind Governor DeSantis in second. That's, uh, I think, pretty good progress for two weeks' worth of work. Governor Chris Christie, appreciate the time. Safe travels uh, on the campaign trail, sir. Thank you very much for having me on, and thanks for your questions. They were good ones. Other news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. Talk about a come up story. A once stray cat rescued by a shelter and adopted by a loving family is now enjoying a new career in its golden years. Duke Ellington Morris, a 14 year old black and white cat, became the first feline to join the San Francisco International Airport's team of therapy animals known as the WAG Brigade. In 2010, Duke was rescued from the streets of San Francisco, where he was found starving among other feral cats and was brought into San Francisco Animal Control and quickly adopted. His humans quickly noticed his calm demeanor. 
misdemeanor, and they got him certified as a therapy animal. And he's been working as an animal therapist for the last decade, visiting patients and hospitals all over the city. But now he's taking his talents to the airport, relieving travel-related stress with his WAG Brigade co-workers, including a rabbit named Alex the Great and a pig named Lilu. He even gets to wear a little uniform and a pilot hat. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. I've been saving the world for a while now on this podcast, and I'm ready to take it to the next level starting on June 26th. You can listen to me, Kennedy, five days a week right here. Listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Lahren. What's on your mind? Long gone are the days of sports being about athleticism. Nowadays, professional sports are about activism and identity politics. Look no further than this new racial and gender report card put out by a group called the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport, which grades Major League Baseball at a C plus for racial and gender hiring practices. An ESPN columnist is very triggered by this and demands the MLB improve its diversity quotient, given that only 6.2% of players are black. Weird though, this same writer doesn't seem too concerned with the fact that the NBA is over seven. 73% black with almost no Asian representation and a small percentage of white and Latino players. When these activists talk about diversity, they don't mean true diversity. So why not come out and say that instead of virtue signaling this false message of inclusion? And a word to ESPN, sports should be about merit and the MLB is a baseball league, not a Disney movie. I'm Tommy Lahren and you can watch my show Tommy Lahren is fearless at outkick.com. <laughs> You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.